The public has had a long-held fascination with detectives. Detectives see a side of life the average person is never exposed to. I spent 34 years as a cop. For 25 of those years, I was catching killers. That's what I did for a living. I was a homicide detective. I'm no longer just interviewing bad guys. Instead, I'm taking the public into the world in which I operated. The guests I talk to each week on the I Catch Killers podcast have amazing stories from all sides of the law. The interviews are raw and honest, just like the world they inhabited. No one who steps into the world of crime comes out unchanged. Join me now while I take you into this world. This episode of I Catch Killers contains conversations that some listeners may find confronting or triggering. Discretion is advised. A warning up front, this episode of I Catch Killers is going to contain some strong language, so maybe it's not one for the kids. Welcome to another episode of I Catch Killers. Life can be pretty tough for a lot of people. Some grow up in a dysfunctional, violent homes. Other people are discriminated against because of the colour of their skin their appearance or even their sexual preferences. Some people also battle with illegal drug addictions or mental health issues. Any one of those traits, issues or whatever you want to call them, can send people on a path of self-destruction that can define them or even destroy them. Quite often it leads to a life of crime, time in prison or an early death. Well, today's guest pretty much ticks all of the boxes, but he's managed to get his life in order. If you look at today's guest, I'm sure most people would approach him with caution. He looks like a bad dude. Sorry about that. I'm just being (laughs) honest. His body is covered in tattoos, including a full-on head and neck tattoos. Strangely, having spent as long as I did in the cops, I learnt that you can't always judge someone by appearance. After all, I've locked up plenty of murderers who look like they couldn't hurt a fly. Today's guest is an interesting person with a fascinating story. There's so much about today's guest. He's complex, and I don't really know how to describe him. Even his chosen career is different from the norm. See, he's a stand-up comedian who uses comedy to help deal with his trauma. Rudy Lee, Tarura, welcome to I Catch Killers. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, don't don't apologise. It's funny, I'm staying at a five-star hotel at the moment, and it is just interesting to watch the guests just squirm every time I'm waiting for a, for an elevator or walking through the lobby. But, um, yeah, no, so it's a, don't apologise. Yeah, no, it's, it's appearances. So this is a podcast, so people that can't see it. Uh, Rudy's a, a tall fella, and he's got... Uh, Tattoos, neck, head tattoo, that sort of uh, stands out and uh, a bit of bling going on there too. Yeah, well, I like uh, it's called uh, my nine carat gold. It's uh, early release superannuation. you got to put that to good use. It's- <laughs> that, that's what you put it out there. Yeah. You say you're fine. You, you talked about it at the hotel, but you would find that you get a different reaction from people all over the place because I, I know, like seeing a person like yourself, the average Joe citizen might avert their eyes and not want to make contact with you or... Uh... At, uh, at this point in my life, I've, I've, I kind of zones out for me. I don't notice people's reactions. It's not until I, I go out with friends yeah. and then they start pointing it out. But I don't know. It's good. It's a good. It's a good way to deter fuckwits real quick. Yeah, that's you know, it. because if they're if they're gonna sit there and judge me because I got a couple of tattoos, I don't think that's a fucking top person I want to talk to anyway. So it's a it's a good way to sort of weed out the the idiots real quick. So it's, it's almost like a filter. It's, yeah, it's a good yeah. Before yeah. Instagram, I've been filtering people for. <laughs> yeah, I, I like people that are a step ahead of the game. <laughs> game yeah. Hey, when did you start uh, start getting tattoos? What what? Uh, I was 15, not my first tattoo. Yeah, um, on my leg, and then it's it's been pro- been progressive. So I'm like 31 now. It's just one of those things. I just 
I didn't. I'm not. I'm not one of these guys that just flew to Bali and came, came back. I ate, <laughs> ate a bunch of Xanax and laid on the table for twelve hours and let four Balinese dudes fucking <laughs> cover my uh, whole body in one sitting. After the infection after uh, the clears infection. up, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they start to fade so, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's been a, it's been a nice slow collection over the years. That you know the way it should be. Yeah. Um, st- okay. Stand up comedy. Yeah, I I just want to put on record, like people say, uh, my career in policing was hard and different things. Uh, yeah, other people's careers. I reckon stand up comedy yeah. must be one of the most terrifying. Uh, yeah, it's 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 much harder than being a cop because I don't have a gun up there, you know. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it. Bang, yeah, bang. Pro- <laughs> you can sort of fucking laugh now, mate. Yeah, I'll show you laughing. But really, you can die a thousand deaths on stage. Yeah, you can. That's and- why you got to get good and get good quick or quit. But okay, I'm 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 really curious because I'm fascinated by people that put themselves out there, and yeah. I watch it, and I don't think there's anything that you can squirm more if you see someone die on stage. There's I love a, it. I love that, it. I love, I love I love bad comedy more than I love. So you see a comedian do a good do do a good set or write a good joke, you're like, yeah, you did your job. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're not you're not giving a plumber a round of applause for unclogging a drain. You know? Yeah. When you see someone go up there and just do something so stupid and ridiculous and or you know, racist or sexist. It's like you're you're a grown adult, and you think <laughs> you think you can go yeah. on a stage with a microphone in public and, and say these things. I, I love, that's one of my favourite things to watch. But do you like? I I know um, actors, and there's one uh, person I really uh, rate, and he said that uh, if he does a film, if people walk out whether they like it, don't like it, but leaves a reaction, yeah. He's achieved his job. Job, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that the same with comedy? Do you guys get uh, get backstage and go, well, that burnt, but it's all part of the show, or is it? Uh, I'm, look, I'm uh, in no position to speak for every comedian. Every comedian looks at the craft differently and, and expects different things from the craft. Personally, I, I, I do feel, feel that. I, I like to go down a bit more of a darker road with, with, with my shows. Um, I, I, hate the com- I hate the term dark comedy, but... Uh, and I do, I do, I invoke different emotions, not just laughter and happiness. Yeah. In, in the setup, I can, I can really, you know, build a lot of suspense and tension and and sort of upset before I get to the punchline and where the where the laughter is okay, released. Okay, so you're taking people into an area where it's almost holding their breath, holding going, the, oh yeah. no, where's this going? going? Yeah, yeah. And then you release the pressure. And then you release the pressure. I love, I love that. Yeah. Um, some comedians will tell you comedy should be about happiness and laughter and joy yeah. and everyone's got a different perspective on it so I'm not going to there's no there's no one right answer yeah. um, or one right sort of I look I, from a personal <coughs> point of view just my thoughts I most entertain where you have all the emotions. Yeah. So you you have the sadness, you have the elation and and Well the the problem is with the with the <clears throat> with the happiness well, the, Comedy's been around now, you know, well, the, 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 in the way we see it now since, what, the 50s. Every possible joke that could have been written has been written. Yeah, true. You know, so unless you've got some sort of personal twist or unless you're an incredibly amazing writer, people want something, you know, that's that's different, that's, you know, what, what's your what's your – you know, different take. Yeah. Or what's your different perspective? You know, what's your personal perspective of this? Um, so, yeah, I think that's very important. But then again, you know, there's some amazing writers out there that can just make stuff up. 
yeah um out of thin air but i'm not i'm not one of those unfortunately yeah <laughs> you get that. okay let's uh let's wind it back a little bit yeah um i'm looking at who i'm seeing now but how did you get here what what was your childhood like um you know stereotypical old man i grew uh, my old man was a alcoholic you know um islander bloke didn't mind the blue you know we kind of grew up Grew up walking on eggshells. I was the youngest of four. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's your stereotypical drunk, violent father, I guess. Um, yeah. And then that sort of kind of drifted off into, you know, where can I get the release? I can't get it at home. So then go to school. And then that's where, you know, oh, well, these, these guys can't hit me the way dad can hit me. So, you know, it's how, how are you going to punish me? So yeah. there's no. Yeah. What was it? What was your mum like? Like your mum, Scottish heritage? Mum's, yeah, mum's Australian Scott. Yep. Um, my dad's Māori. Um, look, both my parents, um, they love, they, they love, they love us. Dad loved us. My father's passed away. Mm. But unfortunately, the, the, the way and the time that they grew up, they weren't, uh, the the tools weren't available to them to sort of understand their own mental health issues or their own, you know, uh, post traumatic yeah. stresses. They they, they they didn't have those tools in the in the seventies and eighties and stuff. So mm. uh, they weren't equipped with you know the tools to sort of. Well, it's yeah. If you're sitting here talking about the potentially being a product of your uh, environment, yeah. Like you, if you wind the next generation back, your yeah, parents, yeah. and uh, I, I think that's often missed sometimes if you're blame, uh, blaming your parents. parents. And I, I found the older that you get, you can look back and you're a little bit more objective in the way that oh, you totally. look at it. My go, father, I was, uh, I was angry with my father and angry with the world, and yeah. you know, I, 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 when I was 15, I ended up dropping my dad. Yeah, you know, and um, I thought that would be the thing that made me happy and changed my life. But then all it did is I ended up going to my uncle's house straight away and just broke down crying like a little like a little baby girl. You yeah. know, a little baby. I was just yeah. in tears. It was it was a weird emotion. like I thought I, I thought that's what I wanted. I thought, you know, when I finally get that, you know, oh man, I'm I'm gonna that's gonna be the thing that's that lets me go. And it wasn't actually until much later in life, um when my father got sick, I took him back to New Zealand. He moved here from New Zealand when he was younger. Yeah. And I took him back to New Zealand, and I started to learn a bit about his childhood and uh, and what he went through. And he was he was the eldest. Uh, so, sorry, the second oldest. He was the eldest son out of ten children, and um, they sort of divided the family up, which which isn't an uncommon yeah uh, uh, thing to do over in New Zealand. And sort of, my father went to live with one of my uh, one of his uncles, who was a devout Mormon. And uh, some of the things that, that my father um, had to deal with as a child, mm. you know, under the under the grace of quote unquote God, yeah, it was absolute, you know, uh, horrific. You know, he'd be locked in cages, and you know, that's bullshit, isn't it? We, we call it for what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he was he was just absolutely tortured. So, in his mind's eye, he's a bashing. Yeah, well, it's, I didn't leave. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't abandon you. I'm still here. Okay, so there's degrees. And I haven't locked you up in. A, yeah. You know, I haven't. I haven't put you in a bin and and left you in a bin for for a day and a half. Yeah, 
I just punched you for an hour. What, what have I done? You know, wrong? what have I done wrong? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 he just couldn't understand. Like he couldn't understand it. He's like, in comparison to, he's like, in comparison to what I went through as a child. Yeah. What's your problem? Uh, <laughs> you I know? understand where you're coming from there. So it's in his mind that it's, it's all relative. It's Look, all right? relative. Yeah, yeah. yeah and well, then you know, as, obviously now some of my siblings have children, and and the way they treat their children is is yeah. beautiful. Like my nephews and nieces, they they talk so much shit <laughs> to all of us yeah uh and one of my brothers doesn't like it but I, I i i look it's frustrating but i like the fact that they, that i know they speak that way to us and, yeah. and they talk lip and they they talk back and, and they give us their opinion because they feel safe and they know that they're safe whereas uh, whereas when we were kids we wouldn't that say was, you no, know it's uh well i would but i knew what was what was coming co- <laughs> so how did that uh because Home life should be, and you know, sadly, it's not for for a lot, a lot of people. Of, a lot of children, yeah. It, it, it should be your safe house, so yeah. that's where you come and lick your wounds, wounds and yeah, uh, you get uh, pumped up again and yeah. ready to face the world. But when your home isn't that way, what? How did that transpire in the way that you were living your life as a kid? Um, man, I don't know. I didn't really have any escape as a child. Yeah. When I was a, when I was a little kid, I had I had no escape. Yeah. Um, I think, and then I sort of just kind of, it was around about 14, 15. That's when I started, you know, finding mates where, oh, I can crash in your shed and, yeah. all right, what are we doing? So that's, you know, the drinking uh, and the drugging and, you know, all that. You, you kind of find this this other family. But, but you're, you're looking for you're looking for a different uh, Yeah, looking different for, you're looking for that safe house. That's yeah, what you're looking yeah. for. And then uh, it might be a little shed in in some, you know, in a yeah. shitty little neighbourhood somewhere. And, but that's, that's where it that, And that's starts. where it was, yeah. So with your, your father being Maori, it was South Australia you grew up? Yep, a- South Adelaide. Australia, Adelaide, yeah. yeah. Was uh, there a... Uh, Maori population around? Was there a Maori community not, or not in South Australia? There's there's a few more coming in now. Yeah, but growing up, you know, there was maybe the half a dozen different Maoris from yeah. from uh, our rugby league club. Um, but there wasn't there wasn't a, a a sort of large sort of thing. And my father moved to Australia in the in the in the early seventies, yeah. and you know, this is only what. The white Australia policy wasn't really phased out until late sixties in 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 all of us, you know, in some parts of Australia. So he moved to a, a still a very racist Australia. Well, I, I was I was going to say that did racism racism play a part? And you're the son of the, this Maori guy, and I would imagine that it uh, played a big part in my father's story. I'm not sure how much um, it it translated in, into us. So I'm not yeah. I'm not sure how much of that sort of kind of passed down the line to us. But it definitely did play a big part in my father's life. It's because when he moved here, he had uh, a Māori name, Atafai. Um, and when he moved here in the 70s, my grandmother told them all to to uh, assimilate. Yep. So my dad made up this voice. He was a, he was a singer. So he, yep. he made up this this voice that wasn't that wasn't there's no Kiwi accent he had okay. like some sort of like I don't know like smooth like yeah. bluesy yeah like he he like it's a voice he created himself okay. he changed his name to Rudy that's where I get my name right. from yep. um and he just sort of kind of made this big disconnect from from our culture and and everything because obviously one his time in New Zealand as a child wasn't yeah great yeah and two coming to Australia during those times, it was just easier to sort of block all that out. And you, you look back at your uh, father's life, it's a hard way to live life, not acknowledging your your uh, your roots, isn't it? 
it's yeah. Well, I talk when I'm talking back to to New Zealand. Um, it changed, yeah, it changed how I perceived him, and that's that that was the, that's when I lost anger for him. Yeah, and you know, I always try to keep a relationship with him in one way or the other, but uh, that's when the, that's when the anger really subsided, and and sort of I kind of got it off my chest. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a it's a hard way to go, just sort of trying to be someone else and his death sort of showed me that you know we haven't got long on this earth yeah so you know i i think and you speak to most people and uh i know i speak to a lot of blokes that i think okay the passing of their father but it's a significant time in any uh any man's life yeah. isn't it when your father passes away because yeah. all, all of a sudden you okay well you're the oldest now it's yeah. almost you you assume that uh, that role so well it was well it was te- well, yeah. I don't know. I, when I was when I was drinking and drugging and running amok as a kid, I thought you know getting into you know some blues and stuff, and you know you see people busted open and, yeah. and all this stuff, and you think yeah, I've I've seen some shit, you know. And then when my dad got sick, uh, I was his I was his carer. I cared for him Monday to Friday, and his his missus looked after him on the weekend. Those months of of, of watching him, yeah. Those last few months of his life, watching him waste away, That's... I was like, "Fuck! I haven't seen anything." Yeah, it, it, it this is horrific. Brings it home, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? The reality. Yeah. You think yeah. you think someone with you know fucking a head split open or you know, or a stab wound or something, you think that's horrific, and, and then you just watch Pump a, yourself a up human with... being, this man that you thought was the was the most invincible, toughest, hardest, you know, most violent, powerful person. Yeah. In your childhood, now you have to help him out of bed. Now you have to help him to the toilet. Now you have to, you know, you have to, you have to lift the lift this man up because he, he can't stand on his own. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, that's this. It's not something. That, it's, in, it's, in, it's in, in hindsight, I really wish I didn't fucking do it. To be honest, <laughs> it's heavy stuff. <laughs> it is. Isn't it? <laughs> like it's just there's no way of uh, yeah. Avoiding how, the impact that has to have, and my dad was a fuckwit too. That's so, so, <laughs> yeah. where I get my—I'm sure I get my comedy from because fuck, I'd, I'd get there every morning about six, seven o'clock, and I let myself in, um, and I'd be like, "All right, Dad, I'm here." Be silence, <laughs> Dad. Nothing. Dad, and I'd run into his room. And he's like, ah, "You thought I was dead, didn't you? You thought today was today." I got and he'd do that every other day. I'd go, yeah. there, you know. Well, I, I, I like the fact that he can have have a laugh at, at that stage so, of his life. Yeah, so that that's good. We'll take a break now, and then we'll talk about Rudy's path to addiction. My name is Manny Carudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. Now, you talked anger, and uh, I just in uh, researching for the podcast, I found a bit the, uh, the quote that, from you. 
and it's talking about your stage. And I, I would imagine you're a teenager at this point yeah. in time, and this is when you're going to create havoc. And yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is your attitude. In a perfect storm of hormones, drugs, anger, and confusion, I tumbled into a decade-long "Let's burn the fucking world down." Yeah. So, okay, it's that's good. a pretty fueled by meth and hatred for my father. It was. It was. It's, I, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm thinking there, there could have been <laughs> prob- problems yeah. there. So, okay. Well, that was, it's funny because I, I, I I've spoke about this with my siblings too and um, it's interesting how people can live through the same experiences yet come out with completely different perspectives because yeah. that's, that, that's not the perspective my siblings took from how my father was. It's interesting, isn't it? But it was for me. For me yeah. it was if you want to be noticed or if you want what you want, Yep, you be loud and angry and violent. Yeah, and that's what how you get it. That's. Do you think he he treated you differently, or is it just the individual your siblings? No, nah, the- not differently. But by the end of it, I was the easiest target because one, I was the I was yeah. the noisiest. Yeah, I was the cheekiest. You know, I I even though I knew what the consequences was, I was still throwing out my fucking opinions <laughs> yeah. and then running. You know, yeah. I remember him chasing me for about 45 minutes and the more I ran, the more I knew I'm like, fuck, when I finally go home, this the yeah. hiding's going to be, you know. So you it, ma- it was, may as well make it a good adventure yeah. if you're going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was. I, I went back and it was, I, ended up, I was only really young, man. I was only about seven or eight. And um, he went to town on me with a, with a, with a, uh, Stake, you know, a garden stake that holds oh, up trees. All right, and okay. I was black and blue from from That's the fucking uh, neck down. Um, so much so that I couldn't even wear a t-shirt without the bruises showing. So I had to, okay, I, that's, my dad that's, kept me home for about three weeks. Okay, well, from that, school. That's, that's serious abuse, isn't yeah. it? That's uh, that's yeah. going to leave leave an impression. Yeah, I I cop my beltings. I was the oldest, uh, yeah. or, or uh, had an older sister, but she didn't get in the trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so I had to pave the way. I think I paved <laughs> the way for my younger brother and younger Your sister. sister. First one caught doing this. First yeah, one caught yeah, doing, doing that. that. So I, <laughs> by the time uh, by the time they came along, it was uh, <laughs> he'd run out of stone. Yeah, see, I, I, I was the youngest, and then I think what happened is that by the time I come along, they were just like, oh, I can't be fucked trying anymore. Right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And it really, you know, my poor mother, when I, when I finally went to go live with her, um, she just, I was just that out of control at, at 15. Yeah. She's like, all right, whatever drugs you're doing, tell me what they are. Yeah. So if you come home and drop, I know what to tell the medics. Okay, well that's a, at least a just, sensible approach. And she just there was no. She's like just just do how, what you want to do. What, what was the uh, what? How old were you when you started uh, partaking in the drugs? In the drugs, uh, it was about fourteen or fifteen when I when I got on the good old gear. Yeah, okay. back in the days when you know the good old fashioned homemade, oh. you can go down the shops get some Sudafed and you know the, ah, yeah, right, the good those, stuff. Yeah. Not, okay, not now where we got to ship it in. You know <laughs> all the all the good jobs are going to China. All, the, all those Codril cold and flu tablets. Yeah, just, back when why you, is someone buying a hundred packets of Codril yeah. cold and flu tablets? It yeah, must be a terrible uh, cult. It was. Um, so did you did you have a and I I look back at my age uh, when I was that age and you had no idea what the world was about. So when you were dabbling in that, did you think consequences? Did anyone? Did you? I thought it was normal. Right. Okay. I thought it was normal. That was the environment. That was yeah. the environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what people were doing around me, and and especially you know, we're talking fifteen, sixteen years ago, yeah. the stigma of of meth use and ice ice use wasn't. As it is like today, 
Yeah. I don't think it was so much. It was so much more open, you know. Um, you're 15. Nowadays, yeah. you know, you say you smoke an ice pipe or whatever, pet, you, the stigma's yeah. straight away. But everyone's happy to snort a line of coke. That, it's funny, isn't it? Well, it's not you know, fun, but that's because it. they've seen Scar- if Scarface smoked ice pipes, you could smoke ice, and people would think it's cool. I, look, I think we've got to uh, have the discussion about yeah. drugs, like. Yeah, they're doing a line of cake. Oh, well, that's that's what trendy people do and yeah. successful people no, do. It's still a, it's still a highly were, addictive. Uh, hey, hey, I'm doing ice. Yeah. You're fucking you're what? Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How so, much did you spend, spend in your ice? I spent 100 bucks. I yeah. stayed up for two days. Yeah. Oh, you junkie. I've just spent 1500 I'm going to go to sleep now. But it is a path of destruction, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so you had no, there weren't any scares that you've gone uh, d- uh, at any point. In your addiction period, and the, yeah. uh, you know it's ten years you were uh, yeah, yeah. using. Did you say, "Fuck, I've got to wake up to myself here. I've really got to straighten out." Well, <laughs> so this doesn't sound good, <laughs> but I knew how to do drugs, right? Right. I knew. I knew. I'd get to a point, and you know, when you start seeing things, you get these weird thoughts. Yep. You'd start thinking things about your mates. And I knew at that point you cooked. Yep. Go have a feed. Go to sleep. Right. Have another feed. Wake up. Reevaluate those thoughts that you're having now. Yeah. And then act on it after. Okay. Well that was that was over lucky. the ten I learned I learned to know when the drugs were telling me I'm like, that's not my thought. Yeah. That's yeah. the drugs thought. Okay. You know, um, so I think I, I could have the ten years could have been much worse if I didn't know where to, when and where to draw the line. Yeah, during each Pacific Bender. Don't get me wrong, like I, <laughs> yeah, I looked up the world record for staying awake the longest, and I could fucking <laughs> shit can that by about two and a half weeks. You know, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the way people react with drugs, and you know, you, you chose your words carefully. There, you knew how to manage it. Because yeah. I've heard a lot of people say, "I thought I knew how to I manage it,", it. and yeah. then uh, then they realise that their life is totally stuffed, yeah. and they perhaps not managing it as well as they did. And you see the different way people react to alcohol. Yeah, we've all got friends that, yeah, I'll drink to the point where I pass out. Yeah. But we've all got those friends that drink, and they're basically their minds passed out, but their bodies still. still got- well, yeah. that that's the I, I had family, really yeah. close family. That even at 16, 17, like, we'd rather him do meth than drink. Yeah, because of the Because he's a reaction. fuckwit when he drinks. Yeah, going to get into he a fight. He can go and have a pipe, yeah. come out here and be charming and chatty and, you know, yeah. and, and loving and caring. Yeah. <laughs> and he drinks half a bottle of scotch and then he's a, you Wants know. Wants to fight the world. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So you started you know, sort of 15, 16. Yeah. Were you working at all, going to school at all? What was it? What no, was your I life like? No, I got kicked out of school uh, in year eight. Yeah. In, in an interesting way because I had, I'd sort of exhausted all of school's options. Yeah. Um, and I, I hadn't had any criminal charges. Yeah. So I'd exhausted all their options for children that weren't criminals. And then the next step was well, we need to wait for him to be busted doing some sort of crime or whatever. So you, I was you, in this grey area and the school didn't know what to do with you me. You stuffed up their system. I, st- I fucked up their system. And yeah. literally the, my mum just said, well, fuck him. Like, you, fuck it. You, you just can't do anything with him. Yeah. He can go find a job. Yeah. 
And did you? And yeah, I went worked at my local deli. Yeah, at thirteen, and and that was that's that's what I was doing in that period. And I was yeah. still I was still you know at thirteen I was still pretty much a kid. You know. Yeah. Um, I felt pretty cool because you know I had my own little income. You know. And I was working pretty much full time, so you yeah. know I was getting like three or four hundred bucks a week, which you thought to a thirteen year old. Yeah. I was like, I've made it. Yeah, don't tell made me, it. You know, don't tell me I wasn't going to make it. You look at my, you know, my, I had my own TV in my room, had a mini fridge in my room yeah. with all my, car, you know, I was living the dream. You know, yeah. I was on top of the world. Um, and then that job sort of burnt out. You know, um, I had a family member pass away when I was when I was, I think I was, yeah. 14 and 15 and I think that sort of changed my um my path in life. He was sort of the family member that looked after everyone and right. Um when he passed away I thought fuck who's going to look after the family now. Yeah. And then that kind of sort of changed my path a little bit. The people I started hanging out with changed a little bit. No, I didn't yeah. when I was 13 or whatever, I just kind of sit in my room by myself. I, I I've always kind of been happy to be alone. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I started getting out and about a bit more around 14, 15. That's, that's where the, you know, I, I watched all my siblings smoke weed and stuff and, you know, I looked at them. They'd get so stoned they couldn't, you know, they couldn't fucking write a text message and shit. I'm like, yeah. I'm like that's not a drug for me. Yeah. That's not, I don't want that. Sit there and the, the, the party and everyone goes, well, what a good night. Yeah. They've all just sat, sat there. there. Yeah, and yeah. I'll just sit there, watch them and just all my, all my you know, siblings, mates would just be sitting there passing bongs around and yeah. and everyone's fucking, you know, on the nod and I'm like, this isn't fun. Yeah. I'm like, if I want to if I, if I go out, what's, what's some good stuff? Yeah. You know, it's some stuff yeah. that makes me, you know. And it was, yeah, that, that's, that was sort of the... The, the turning point, um, you know, when I started sort of getting out and about a bit more, realising that, fuck, I can't go to a pub and, and drink all night without yeah. fucking punching on. Yeah. So you... Let's take a little bit of this stuff to sort of pep me up. You keep me out of okay. trouble. And um, and it's funny because having ADHD, not realising that that's basically... All ADHD is a, is a, is a, is a lack of dope or your body not being able to produce enough dop dopamine. Yeah. So it's not that I was good at doing drugs. It's just that when I'd get on sort of these uppers, all it would do is just level me out. Okay, okay. And, it, you know, well, <laughs> maybe. Do, do, yeah. <laughs> I've got to be far a few times. <laughs> we'll take another break now, and then we'll hear how Rudy left his ice addiction behind. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, when did you realise that, that like, you, you, well, you've talked up the benefits of it and you're saying, okay, yeah. well, it, it did this, it, yeah, yeah. it got me out, I was sociable, I wasn't uh, getting yeah. on the grog and getting in the fights. When did you realise that you were actually addicted to it? Was there a point in time when you've gone, oh, shit, this has got hold of me? I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like a addict making excuses because I, 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 I know, <laughs> yeah, based on my actions, that... I'm an addict, but it's it was one of those things that um, 
it was just so readily available. Yeah. You know, like if 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 your family owns a, a chocolate factory or or Arnott's biscuits, yeah, and there's Tim Tams and Monte Carlos just constantly getting dropped off at your house. Are you addicted to biscuits or are you just taking advantage of what's around you? Okay. Uh, I basically just, I got to the point where I just, I was like over it. Right. I was done with it. Got bored with it. Got bored with it. Yeah. That was the biggest, it was, I, there wasn't an epiphany where I sat down and I'm like, oh, I've, you know, because I didn't, I hadn't lost my family. My family, my family was still, had loved me yeah. as much as they'd always have. And, well, you know, I was still as much apart or, you know, as, or as distant away from my family as I always was. There's no, no big change from the drug use. Right. I just personally, and, and I've, I, I've got friends that, that still use to this day and, and no judgment, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's the life that, that, they've they've, that they've chosen, that they enjoy, that, that they want to, that they want to live. Yep. And happy days, all the power to them. Did, did you see anyone that lost their lives because of it? Whether, yeah, I, like, I, as in, yeah, died did. as a result of it, overdose, or just destroyed their lives and ended up in prison? Or a lot of people in jail. Yeah. Um, one murdered. Um, some suicides. Yeah, I've lost a lot of people to drugs, and then you know. Obviously, you take that away, and some people's brains can handle constant drug use. Some people can, yeah. not many, but some can. And those are the people that I was just talking about. But then there are those people that I've that I've seen waste away to nothing, yeah, and go from you know having the freshest clothes, freshest kicks, you know, yeah, always having cash, you know, fresh pack of smokes, and and these are people that that I. That I bought into the drug scene, yeah, or well, not just not into the drug scene, but introduced to 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 meth, yeah, ice, and then you see them a couple of years later, and you know they're they're just gone, they're ratty, I, they got no dollars, they got yeah, because I I saw the tail end of my career in in policing, and I, I've been out three years now, yeah. but uh, and doing homicide, I I saw one particular bad. Murder. Well, they're all bad murders, but uh, a bloke that was on ice and uh, murdered this lady in a home and uh, in front of a child, and it was just a yeah. horrific, horrific thing. Speaking to him, looking at him, and he was a full blown ice addict. Yeah. And there was it looked like he was soulless. Yeah. Now I, I I've seen yeah you know, the effects of drugs my whole whole life. Yeah. But there was something like there was a vacant look behind his eyes. It was just it was just glassed out. It was yeah. like there was no soul to him. Um, and that's the effect I, I've seen with ice. You you have people or seen people, people that that way that yeah. you just go who who is this person? person it's like yeah. a zombie. Yeah. You could put it on the it's set. Wor- it's worse than it's worth it's worse than proper death. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, how do you how do you how do you lay that person to rest? They're still here. They're still here and they're walking and they're walking, walking around, around, but there's nothing behind their eyes. Yeah. yeah, it's a, a terrible thing. So the break away from it, from the drug use, how yeah. how hard was that for you? Um, I just left the state. <laughs> okay. Really, that's the that's the you know personally, um, you know, I, I'd got I, over that ten years, I'd had breaks here and there. Yeah. Um, but then when it got to the point where I'm like, nah. I don't want to do this. The problem is when you when you're doing when you when you're getting off tap that often, 
everyone around you is just another off tap up. Yeah. You know what I mean? You surround yourself in that environment yeah. with those people. So I knew to 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 be able to break the cycle, break the pattern, I had to remove myself from the situation. From that environment. And that's what I did. I, I went to um, a little little country town in Queensland where, where a family friend had a acreage, just a big block yeah. of land and, you know, I just kind of sat there and dried out for three months and then sort of went back to South Australia and, you know, Reevaluated my life, started working and stuff, and um, was very selective of who I spoke to and or who I hung out with. Cautious, cautiously, because you didn't Cautious, want to go back I, into that yeah. environment. And so I said before, like, ah, uh, you know, like I don't like to think I'm an addict, but you know, if you pulled out a if you pulled out a glass pipe right now and started smoking, I'd have to leave the room. Yeah, like yeah. I couldn't sit here and just watch you, yeah, smoke meth and be like, oh, that's fine, and you know, not get that feeling in the pit of my stomach like, fuck. I want, want part of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you see, uh, I, I've seen friends that alcohol's their, their, yeah, their Achilles heel. Yeah. And they've got to just break away from, uh, I, I can't come out. If I come yeah. out, I'm, I'm going to want to drink. Drink, yeah. Um, you, really, it's just taking themselves out of the environment. When you, uh, when you took yourself up to Queensland on that uh, property, did you have the physical cravings for it? Was it... Uh, not, no, not terribly. No, I, it, to be honest, it was, it what, all right, in contrast, recently, over, the, over you know, a, a couple yeah. of years ago, the drug of choice was Xanax. Yeah. Because I'm point. an anxious person and I, I, I take a couple of Xanax. Yeah. I think anxiety's gone. I can get ten hours sleep. Are you kidding me? I can sleep for ten hours. I haven't slept that long fucking in ages. Yeah. You know, and this is even post gear and, and and everything. You know, take these benzos or Valium or whatever, and it just takes the edge off. And then you stop taking the benzos. Yeah, the withdrawal from that are fucking that dire. Was, it was dire. The ice for me physically. I don't recall. Shaking in in no corner. Yeah, I don't recall, you know. And- I didn't get the sweats. I wasn't vomiting. There was no diarrhea. I just, yeah. I just, I just stopped. Fucked off. Felt like shit for like a week or two. Yeah. I'd have a couple of beers and think, oh, it wouldn't be bad, but I'm in the middle of nowhere, so yeah, what, what? I can't get anything, so it doesn't matter. So you you put yourself in that environment, but then you but then you you contrast it with these with these with these drugs that doctors prescribe to people. Yeah. And that was harder for you, though. And then you get off them, and you and and the physical withdrawals from benzos compared to what I personally yeah experienced harder with me, terrible and and much shorter periods. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I, I remember just over a week just having one zany a day. Yeah. And then I had to travel, so I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna. I didn't have I didn't have a script for them. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I can't travel with these. I'll leave them at home. Yeah. Went to Melbourne and spent the first three days in my hotel room, didn't sleep, vomiting, diarrhea, couldn't eat, right, couldn't hold anything down from that. And and these and the, and these were these were prescription. These were prescription. These were someone sold me their prescription. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean, for the the doctor actually gave them, and and just from and a, that's, just, that's just from impact. a week of use. Yeah, I was having. I'm like fucking. 
and I just I, I looked up the withdrawal symptoms and, and one yeah. of the symptoms is paranoia. So every 20 minutes I kept because I thought, fuck. And, you know, I, I know I'm in my third year stuff, but I was like, fuck, I don't have Medicare card. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know any doctors here. What doctor? Uh, yeah, what how, do, how I, are you going to get to a doctor well, and say this do is what I, go to, I don't, Do I go, oh, no, I can't go to the hospital. So when I seen the symptoms that one of the signs of paranoia, whenever I felt like, no, nah, I can't do this anymore, I'm like, no, no, that's it's yeah. all right. That's, You're all right. Okay. It's the paranoia is one of the symptoms Kicks of withdrawals. That's not you thinking that you're gonna you're not gonna die. You're just yeah. paranoid that you're gonna die because that's one of that's the symptoms. One of the symptoms that kicks in. So when you went back to South Australia, did you have friends? Yeah, trying to drag you back into the because they were. Uh, I I see it where people get dragged back, back in because their mates miss them or their friends miss them and they want it, want them back. And I I th- also think those people trying to drag people back in feel like oh they're gonna judge me if I'm still doing, doing it and they've cleaned up. Did you experience that? Uh, I don't think people were intentionally trying to drag me back in. Yep. Um, but I went back with a pretty solid mindset that you know, um, I don't want to go back to the to to that lifestyle. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I, there's been a, a, a couple of lapses. Yeah. You know, yeah. in that time. Yeah. Um, I'm no angel, but um, staying up for a week, two weeks. These days. You don't need that. So I'm, fuck, I'm 32. Yeah. Why do I want to stay awake for that long? I know what the world's like now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sit it's up a, and think about the world for the two weeks. It's a bit harder, isn't it? It is, yeah. 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 But that's the thing. I was lucky. I did drugs when I was supposed to. Well, I went through that phase when I was supposed to. Right. When I was a kid, when I had nothing, when when I didn't have a house to lose, when I didn't have a- The responsibilities. When I didn't have responsibilities. That's, where, that's when, you know, it's not a- it's not, I, I should be where it's not something. I do want to say this to any younger people listening: if you've never done drugs and you're curious, just don't do them. Yeah, don't yeah. don't try them. Yeah, because once you try them, and once you use them on a regular basis, it's the problem. You get to a point where that's the that's the saddest thing. Yeah, you know, then you start reading up on it afterwards, and you realise, oh, my brain will never fucking fully recover. Yeah. I'll never experience happiness the same the, the way that I would have without drugs now yeah. because you know all the dopamine blockers in your, in my brain now I, I, that's why I do, the comedy that yeah. gives me the rush yeah that, that gives me that that yeah. gives me that big pump up and then for that moment when I'm on stage when when everything's going well and going to my that's I, a, that's I, a I high. feel normal then yeah it make, it makes sense and I I know what you're saying you can't say people yeah experiment try it you might like it you might this no. because the chances are it's going to have a negative a yeah. negative impact, impact. and uh, you're better better off uh, staying away from yeah. it. Looking at your, your childhood, are you like now where you're at with your life, are you glad that you went through that or would have you – Fuck like, yeah. Because it, it's made you the person that you are. 100%. <laughs> Do you know how easy it is to write a joke when you've had fucking well, a seriously <laughs> traumatic fucking childhood? Well, it is so much easier. All these other people, they got to spend hours sitting down, you know, writing and fucking, you know, researching and doing all this shit. And then I just got to remember one thing that happened and then put a little bit of a twist on it. Yeah. And then I've got to, you know, and people come up to me, they're like, oh, man, like, this, you know, it's so real and, you know, it's true. And, you know, like, we're really connected with that. Oh, it's so funny. I've, I've had comedians come up to me and just and say to, and just say to me, like, you're so lucky. 
<laughs> can we steal your life? You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm jealous. I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah. Fucking, you know, two mental parents, dad bashing the fuck out of me, me, me being a junkie for 10 years. Oh, my, I feel so sorry yeah. for you with your loving mother and father in the same house fucking cooking well, your dinner every night. Well, I suppose poor. if we started this uh, podcast and how was your childhood? <laughs> oh, it was really nice. nice. I grew up yeah. in a lovely family. family. It, it might have ended a bit, uh, Dif- bit short. Yeah. Um, drugs, no, I've never touched drugs. Uh, and, but also it's it's taught me less, that, you know, there's things that I've, I've learned that, you know, I'm this that I'm glad some people don't know about. I'm, yeah. I'm glad there's some things people haven't seen, and and you know, I'm glad there's some things people don't understand because you know you don't necessarily want everyone to understand everything from yeah. a first hand. There, there's something about people that have suffered trauma or been involved in trauma, and I find even just sitting here in the podcast, but I saw it in my career in the cops as well, that uh, there's a calmness about them in that, and I won't say zen-like. You know, yeah. So you, well, you probably could describe it as zen-like in that they're not going to sweat little things yeah. because they've been through some big things, yeah. and so I'm not I'm not going to stress about little things, things, and that that puts out a calmness. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, and I think that's part of the uh, part of the uh, makeup from a traumatic childhood. Anyway, we're not going to advocate for uh, traumatic childhoods, <laughs> and uh, I think now's probably a good time to have a break. We'll leave you as just kicking the uh, drug habit, and then what's, we're going to find out what uh, life uh, was for you after that period. Beautiful. Sounds okay, good. we'll be back soon. Thanks, Reid.